News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 55 of the Luke Macias Show. I had a conversation lined up to bring to y'all this week, and then I got the flu last week, the second half of last week, and I was in bed. If I sip a little bit on this Powerade while I'm here, it's just because I'm trying not to cough as much, Um, but wanted to bring y'all a quick update on a couple very important things. Uh, First of all, you know, tonight is New Hampshire, um, the election in New Hampshire, which uh, will likely lead to the victory of Bernie Sanders there in that state. It's a state that he's been very well supported in in the past and a state that he continues to hold his support in. Even uh, all of the polls that have come out in the last 24 to 48 hours have shown Sanders with a growing lead over Pete Buttigieg, who got a little bit of a bump after Iowa and kind of coasted back down a little bit. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about what some of these various different candidates could mean for Texas's general election in 2020. And then there's a handful of other issues that I want to bring everyone's attention to. So first of all, when it comes to the presidential candidates, um, you know, let's start with the Iowa victor, Pete Buttigieg, even though it was a very small victory that he had over Bernie Sanders, he still got a little bit more attention. I don't think Pete is likely to be the Democrat nominee. I think most people would agree with that. But I think at this current time, he, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden are still uh, the three front runners within the Democrat Party. And why Joe is holding there while plummeting in some of these early states, I don't know. But it will be very interesting to see how he's polling in South Carolina following this New Hampshire performance. It's also going to be important to look at whether Biden comes in fifth, fourth, third, where in that order he's more likely to be either in a fourth or a fifth position. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Pete Buttigieg would fare very poorly in Texas. Um, one, cause he is a very progressive leftist Democrat. He has a major problem with the black vote. And this is something that, you know, Republicans have talked a lot about. In fact, many people say, oh, Donald Trump is going to do exceptionally well with the black vote, um, nationwide, which I hope he does do better than any Republican presidential candidate ever has. That doesn't mean he's going to do exceptionally well. We have such a low bar with that voting demographic that it's not hard to outperform, but Donald Trump has seemed to be making some inroads within the black community. But Pete Buttigieg has a major problem, Um, and his major problem is, one, that when he was mayor of Fort Bend, he enacted and pushed some policies that seemed to negatively affect the black community. And he has received a lot of criticism for that, has had a hard time surviving that criticism. He then tried to uh, overcome that and uh, decided to make a page on his website with a whole agenda for black America. Unfortunately, his team decided to put a stock image up that was a picture of a woman actually from Africa. And that also went over really poorly. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite missteps of the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Probably my favorite misstep of Pete Buttigieg. He's somebody who doesn't often make mistakes, right? He's very eloquent, stays on message, but that was a, a, a pretty big problem that he faced as a result of not doing enough research on the type of photos that you put on your website. But the other issue that 
you'll definitely not hear any of the media talking about is the fact that uh, Pete Buttigieg lives a homosexual lifestyle. He's married to a man, and uh, that is part of his identity. It's how he identifies himself. And that is a major problem within the black community. Uh, Some of y'all remember Proposition 8, which was in 2008 when they elected Barack Obama by a very wide margin. They also voted, a majority of the state voted to define marriage as a man and a woman. And uh, some people blame the Mormons and Catholics for campaigns across the state, but uh, the people they didn't really focus in on was the fact that the black community and the black churches were turning people out because they still have very traditional views when it comes to the Bible's view of homosexuality, the Bible's view of any sex outside of a heterosexual marriage relationship. And so That is a major issue that Pete has to deal with, and the black community has not been his friend as a result of that. If he were the Democrat nominee for president, that would bode very well for Republicans and conservatives in Texas because there are a number of very competitive districts, especially in Dallas County and others, where the black vote is a decent chunk within each and every one of these swing House districts or these swing congressional districts. And so uh, that would go a long way. In fact, I think he would uh, be more vulnerable within some of those communities than ever before. And at the end of the day, what we know is that the top of the ticket does determine the down ballot wave that you can ride or can't ride. We saw that with the Ted Cruz and Beto effect where every single one of these state house districts that we lost in the two state Senate districts we lost were won by Beto and not barely won. They were handily won. And then the Republican candidates for state rep or Congress or state Senate were often outperforming Ted Cruz, sometimes by a wide margin, but not wide enough to overcome the wave that Beto created. And the same thing could happen in 2020. And the question is, how will it happen? The weaker the Democrat nominee, then the bigger the potential Trump wave is in Texas to carry some of these candidates across the finish line and to ensure that some of these state house districts that went blue go back to red. Next, you have Bernie Sanders, who is likely to be the victor in New Hampshire. And what we know about Bernie is that he's an avowed socialist and he's somebody who's proudly proclaimed those policies. Um, As that becomes, (coughs) excuse me, if he is to become the Democrat nominee, that will most definitely benefit conservatives and Republicans in Texas because even though they were open to Beto's message, you know, it's funny because Beto today is a very avowed progressive far left individual who wants to literally take people's guns away. But that's not how he campaigned when he was running for U.S. Senate. He didn't say, I want to pass all these socialistic policies. He actually came out and tried to have a much more uh, middle-of-the-road approach and really tried to run on a personality and did so very effectively. And that appealed to a lot of these people in the middle that just wanted something different, wanted something new, wanted the new flavor of the month. But Bernie Sanders has defined himself by these socialistic policies. And that will not bode well for Democrats within many of these different suburban areas, which are the swing districts here in Texas. I don't think there's a real big question mark of whether Trump is going to win Texas. I believe he absolutely is going to win Texas over any of these Democrat nominees that get elected. But I do think that the Democrat nominee that gets elected will determine how weak the Democrat Party will be going into November, and that will help determine how many seats we can potentially take back, which makes it that much easier for us to actually pass a conservative agenda. Now, I want to make sure it's clear. 
Republicans and Republican leadership in Texas have not made it clear that they actually have a conservative agenda that they do want to pass if we give them more seats in the legislature. It's one of the reasons why there's the Lone Star agenda that's been created by all these grassroots organizations, because it doesn't matter if we elect five or six or seven or eight more state representatives that are Republicans and keep Pete Flores in the state Senate, which is going to be the swing district in Texas, if Republicans don't actually intend to pass an aggressive conservative agenda. And so that's why grassroots Texans have called on them to do so and do so now when they're asking for all the grassroots to show up and work hard. What that means is that without the leadership at the top doing that, we need to focus in our efforts to elect people who we know are going to champion those conservative issues, regardless of whether Republican leadership is on board or not. So that's the question you should be asking yourself. Is this state representative, is this state senator willing to push these issues whether or not their leadership is on board, whether or not they're given permission to, or are they simply going to play behind closed doors and try to make deals and stay on the team as much as possible? Anyways, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg would both be very weak. Then comes to Joe Biden, who still is leading in South Carolina. The question is going to be, how much is he leading afterwards? Tom Steyer's spending a ton of money in that state. There are, of course, a couple other people who could uh, mess that up for him. But at the end of the day, Joe Biden would actually be a stronger candidate. And, and I know some people might shoot me for saying that, but he'd be a stronger candidate than Bernie Sanders or Pete Buttigieg. I guess it's kind of like being the tallest midget in the room, to be honest. But uh, he would be a stronger candidate. I think this Hunter Biden uh, Ukraine mess has definitely waned on him a bit and would continue to wane on him because Lindsey Graham, Senator from South Carolina with Ted Cruz, uh, they were talking about this on The Verdict, which if you listen to this podcast, you should also consider listening to The Verdict by Ted Cruz. Um, and, and if you do, just realize that they do a better job than I do at my podcast. So, you know, please don't leave. Um, but you should listen to them as well. Uh, look, guys, Ted and Lindsay talked about the fact that they're not going to stop digging into the Ukraine problem and figuring out why nobody took action when Hunter Biden was profiting so much off of a foreign company that his dad was essentially um, overseeing the policy for. So that being said, I think Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden does uh, possess some weaknesses that he would come into, but he would probably be more palatable to Texans than Pete Buttigieg or Bernie Sanders. You also have, you know, t- to be honest, after New Hampshire, my hope is that you see people like Warren and Amy Klobuchar actually step down. I have always contended that Amy Klobuchar would be the worst candidate, the most harmful candidate for Texas Republicans. She's somebody who's actually seen as a centrist. She's somebody who's actually successfully won Republican areas. She wins Republican congressional districts consistently in Minnesota because she has a very middle-of-the-road centrist approach. Um, She's harder to paint as a radical. And so therefore, in Texas, she would have more appeal to some of these middle-of-the-road suburban areas which Republicans are trying to make inroads back into and win back. So uh, I don't think Amy Klobuchar, every every day I see her not rising in the polls is a good day for Texas. Um, I think most of the other candidates we should feel very good about when it comes to um, the environment that that creates for us in November. So that's a little overview of what those different candidates would do uh, to the great state of Texas. Just to let you all know, 
The uh, county of Ellis County is now a sanctuary county for the unborn. Congratulations to Paul Perry, county commissioner there. Um, Was really glad to see that they actually passed uh, that. They're a larger county too, more the size of my county, Comal County. So it's good to see larger counties since a lot of the counties who have been passing these policies have been very small, west and East Texas counties. I think that's important. I would encourage each and every one of you to continue to reach out to your local county elected officials and urge them to take action and consider passing sanctuary county resolutions, uh, sanctuary county resolutions for the Second Amendment, sanctuary county resolutions for the unborn, so that we can continue to make it clear that Texas is not going to infringe on people's Second Amendment rights and that we're going to protect the unborn uh, in, in every way at every level given every opportunity. There are a couple ballot propositions, and I don't know about y'all, but I am a very early voter, and so I try to get in in the first couple days of voting, which will start next week, and so I was just going to go through those with y'all real quick. There are 10 Republican Party primary ballot propositions. Um, The important things with these ballot propositions is that they continue to show support for issues that we are then going to go lobby. The grassroots is going to go lobby the legislature to deliver. And because voters vote on them, you can break it down by house district and say, this is how many people in your house district actually hold this position. So the first one on the ballot is going to be that Texas should not restrict or prohibit prayer in public schools. If we have to talk about that, you're weird. Uh, So yeah, vote for that one, right? Pretty easy. We should not restrict or prohibit prayer in public schools. Texas should reject restrictions on the right to bear, keep and bear arms. Easy. Yes. Texas should ban the practice of taxpayer funded lobbying, which allows your tax dollars to be spent on lobbyists who work against the taxpayer. Look, yes, you should vote for this, but you should also reach out to your city councilmen, your school board members and county commissioners and say, look, whether or not we pass a ban on it or not, you're a Republican. You need to stop funding, using our tax dollars to pay lobbyists to then argue against property tax reform, property tax relief. And so I would urge you to do that as well as vote for that proposition. Number four is Texas should support the construction of a physical barrier and use existing defense-grade surveillance equipment along the entire southern border of Texas. Of course, no surprise, Texas parents or legal guardians of public school children under the age of 18 should be the sole decision maker for all their children's health care decisions, including but not limited to psychological assessment and treatment contraception and sex education. It's important. We basically have these battles going on that you've seen. In fact, I've been in conversations with a couple of people who have been in the middle of the Austin uh, sex education battle uh, to have on the program to go deeper into the sex education material that Austin ISD is providing to children there. Um, but we've got to make sure that when it comes to introducing any of that material to your children, that parents are the ultimate decision maker every time. And it's important that we support policies that protect the parental rights because I can tell you parental rights are under attack in Texas. Six says Texas should ban chemical castration, puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and genital mutilation surgery on all minor children for transition purposes given that, that Texas children as young as three are being transitioned from their biological sex to the opposite sex. 
look, this is an issue this program knows well. You've uh, Many of you have heard our conversation with Jeff Younger regarding his son, James Younger. This is a simple position that says we've got to ban the child abuse that's going on when these children are having their puberty blocked and then are having their genitals mutilated before they're 18 years old and they're being manipulated and brainwashed as young as two and three years old, beginning getting transitioned in this process. So this prevents any of those physical restrictions, which at least gives these children time to hit puberty naturally and then see where they go from there. So number six is probably the most important one. And please make sure that everybody you know knows to vote for that proposition. Sorry, uh, for those of you who have to deal with my cough. And then number seven, Texans should protect and preserve all historical monuments, artifacts, buildings, such as the Alamo Cenotaph and our beloved Alamo, and should oppose any reimagining of the Alamo site. This is not going to be fun for George P. Bush uh, because it's basically a direct opposition to him. So get out and vote for seven. Number eight, Texas election officials should heed the directives of the office of the governor to purge illegal voters from voter rolls and verify that each new registered voter is a U.S. citizen. Really easy direct action. Texas had a great piece on this recently where they talked about the need to make sure that if we want to make sure our elections uh, have integrity, then the first step is to purge the voter rolls and make sure that all those who are actually registered to vote are legal citizens. Number eight, please vote for that. Number nine, bail in Texas should be based only on a person's danger to society and risk of flight, not the person's ability to pay. Um, so, uh, I don't know exactly what the Republican Party is going for in this plank. So I would say that my tendency is to vote, uh, for number nine as well. Um, and, uh, and I mean, I think the more, I'm, I just need to read it because this is the first time I've read it. So let me read it one more time. Bail in Texas should be based only on a person's danger to a society and risk of flight, not the person's ability to pay. So this goes to the conversation we just had with Brad Johnson recently, where the gentleman who stabbed someone to death in Austin was let, on on a, let out on a personal recognizance bond where the cities are making determinations that if you can't afford the bond, uh, then they will just let you go uh, on a personal recognizance bond and, and trust that you will come back when you can because they don't want to put people who don't have the ability to pay in jail for that long. At the end of the day, when people are dangerous to society, they should indeed be kept even if they cannot afford to pay uh, the bond that they would need to pay to get out of jail. So that's number nine. Number 10, Texas should limit our state legislators' terms to 12 years. Yes, they should. Uh my clients are strong supporters of that policy. It is funny to see every cycle that that does not get to the floor because state representatives do not want to vote on that because they know that their constituents want them to be term limited. So they will avoid that one at all costs. Um, So there you go. Those are the propositions. And last but not least, we're going to go into CD12, Congressional District 12, which starts in Fort Worth and goes out into Weatherford and up north into a little county named Wise County with a little bit of chunk in there. Uh, This is Kay Granger, who's a 22-year incumbent. She is a Republican. She was a Democrat who switched parties to being a Republican, was uh, was pro-choice. And then when she got a competitive primary, woke up and said, oh my gosh, I'm actually 100% pro-life. I forgot to tell everybody. Um, But back in 
uh, I guess it was 2012, she was uh, chair of the Women for Romney and was being interviewed by MSNBC. And MSNBC asked her uh, what, how she could, you know, be a woman but take what, support positions to take all their rights away uh, with uh, Mitt Romney's radical pro-life views. And she said, well, I don't know why I would have those views because I'm a pro-choice Republican. And then her and MSNBC went back and forth for a while. Uh, she got an opponent. Chris Putnam, who's waging a very strong challenge against her. And uh, and now she's trying to change her tune. In fact, she's saying, wait a second, what I meant to say was I'm pro-life. And I've actually consistently been pro-life. And they said, well, when? When did you start being consistently pro-life? Well, my record says that I'm consistently pro-life. Well, at what point? At what point did you wake up and say, wow, oh my gosh, I've been advocating for the destruction of human life. I've been advocating prior to whatever date this is, uh, I've been advocating to rip the limbs off of children violently, painfully. You'd think that a conversion like that would warrant, I don't know, some type of revelation, some type of statement. But no, the statement was uh, kept close until she had a primary opponent and now she's decided, hey, um, I'm pro-life. Here's what's funny. So Texas Right to Life, one of my favorite pro-life groups here in Texas, is of course <coughs> coming out hard, criticizing Mrs. Granger and her uh, pro-choice position, her anti-life position. But lo and behold, no surprise, Texas Alliance for Life, uh, the kind of liberal pro-life group here in Texas, uh, is there fighting alongside Congressman Granger trying to fight um, to keep her in office. And, you know, you can literally say you're pro-choice and Text Alliance for Life will still tell people you're pro-life, which is similar to what they did with Joe Strauss. Joe Strauss said, I think Roe v. Wade should be law of the land. And Text Alliance for Life said he is a conservative champion. J.D. Sheffield, Dr. Sheffield, has gotten up on the floor and said, uh, we need to take care of these children when referring to third trimester abortions that he wants to remain legal in Texas. So his version of taking care requires them to be killed. And uh, and Texas Alliance for Life has called him and is calling him again this time a pro-life champion in Texas. So when it comes to the abortion issue, probably the most watched race in Texas is in Congressional District 12. And when it comes to the pure, unadulterated battle for human life, the divide in the pro-life arena between the liberal-leaning Texas Alliance for Life and conservative Texas Right to Life can be no clearer. And that is a race that every single one of you should be watching. If you live in that area, you need to get to that district. You need to block walk. You need to call people. You need to do whatever you're going to do because at the end of the day, it's an all-hands-on-deck battle. Look, guys, there's con conservative candidates across the state. Please go to Texas Right to Life. Go to Texas Homeschool Coalition. Go to Texans for Vaccine Choice. Um, look at Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. Young conservatives of Texas, go there and see who they're endorsing. If you live in the Waco area, if you live in South Texas, if you live in San Antonio, North Texas, Houston, see who these organizations are backing, and then go and spend some time helping those candidates. Please consider doing that in the next three weeks. Three weeks from now, we're done. The primaries are over. And so thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time, and uh, God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter 
and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.